Welcome to the Paychex eChair Leadership Podcast Series. Today, we are pleased to present Johnny Taylor, CEO of SHRM, the Society for Human Resource Management. In this entertaining talk, Johnny will give insights into the changing world of HR. He'll make you laugh and he'll make you think. Johnny is a global leader on human capital, culture, and leadership. He has held executive HR positions at Blockbuster and Paramount and was an advisor to the U.S. Department of Commerce on workforce policy. A former attorney, he is also a board member for a number of organizations, including the President's Advisory Board on Historically Black Colleges and Universities and the Thurgood Marshall College Fund. I get a lot of opportunities to speak around the globe, literally, and usually it's to chapters, it's to HR professionals. Rarely am I talking to and with HR people who are in the business. You are the business of the organization. You're not a partner to the business. And by the way, I have this real struggle in my head with the term HR business partner, because it suggests that HR people who are working within organizations are not part of the business, they're partners to the business. And it's really frustrating to hear people refer to themselves as sort of, we're partners to the business. And I was in a meeting the other day with an executive, fairly significant executive with significant revenue in an organization, and she kept saying, well, you know, we had a meeting, and we brought the HR person, and then we brought the business people. And my head about spun around two or three times, and finally I just said, would you stop saying that? Because you don't realize you're offending me in the process. She said, well, you're kind of offending me now. I said, well, good, we're offending each other, you know, but at the end of the day... What's bothering me is that you're suggesting that we are not part of the business. And the reality is in a knowledge-based economy, we are the business. I just met with the CEO of IBM, Jenny Rometty. We literally were getting ready to roll out our new commercials, and she is going to lead the television commercials. We're going to have three famous CEOs, the CEO of IBM, the CEO of Humana, and then the CEO of MasterCard. They're going to be talking about Sherm, they're going to be talking about HR and our profession, and ultimately our purpose, which is to elevate HR. So it was coincidental when I heard about elevating mindset. My God, that's what we're talking about, is elevating our profession, and you do so through elevating the mindset. You all have an advantage over a lot of people who do HR as service providers, as service centers, as partners. You're actually the business. We are now in a society where organizations and CEOs consistently, and I meet with a lot of them, say to me, Johnny, we don't have a problem accessing financial capital. Our problem is human capital. We have all the money we need, and if the feds lower the rates anymore, we're going to just be throwing money out of windows. (laughs) But the problem is we can't find people to do those jobs, to help us exploit that money. So this is a wonderful, wonderful time to be in HR. And I say that for someone who's been in this work for a long time. I've practiced HR for some of the biggest companies, Fortune 500 CHRO a couple of times, worked at Paramount Pictures, what was Blockbuster, I was there once. Not responsible for its no longer existence, but they didn't listen. If they had listened to me, we'd be okay, right? (laughs) God bless my Blockbuster days. For us to be successful, we've got to change our mindset too. And we've got to equip ourselves to be able to deliver Because business now wants us to deliver. It's more than throwing birthday parties and making people feel good and escorting them out the door. We are now critical, right? And so if you know that, if you're going to be successful, you're going to equip yourself with the skills, but more importantly, you've got to equip your head, your mind. There's got to be a little bit of swagger when you walk into the room. We're at this interesting point in our country and indeed the world's sort of business history where people really value what we do. And the days of saying, you know, media getting in front of employees and saying, you know, people are our most important asset, it's not just a speech. 
they actually mean it now. The leaders are saying it, they mean it, and therefore, if people are your most important asset, then the people who are responsible for finding those people, keeping those people, paying those people, all of that good stuff, you become a critical part of the business. That's where we are right now. And so that is why you've gotta change your mindset as we go into this work. But let me tell you, before we can do that, and this disruption, the word that we think about a lot, is happening in HR in such a way that I can't imagine the world that we live in now. I really can't. And not just from visibility and importance to the C-suite, but really the work we do. It is so different than anything my grandma can imagine. And frankly, it's very different from what I can imagine just 20 years ago in Blockbuster. The level of sophistication, the requirements of the job, the type of people who can do these jobs now are very, very different than just a decade ago and for sure two decades ago. It's being disrupted. And let me tell you, you ain't seen nothing yet. So we're gonna talk about that. But before we can do it, you always have to understand your past. You've gotta understand the history. And I want you to think about this because this is how you level set what's going to be required of each of us. Take you back. When you really think about talent and work, go all the way back to the hunter-gatherer era. That was a period where you really, really, from a talent standpoint, if you couldn't catch it and you couldn't lift it and you couldn't grow it, you didn't eat it and therefore you died. So organizations needed the strongest person who was the fastest. That's the talent. If you were in HR back in the day, you wouldn't need a resume to say, how many years did you go to school? How many experience? I want to know how many tigers did you run down or run from? You need to know how much can you lift? That was the talent during the hunter and gather era. Fast forward into the industrial era. There are a few of us in the room who remember this. This was the beginnings of everything. Efficiency and optimization. Remember everyone was doing the Six Sigma and the Brown Belt and the Yellow Belt and all of these things. I mean, you were just really ISO certification. Everything was about, and America's place in the world was about our efficiency and our optimization. The more productive you were, the more efficient you were, the more profitable you ultimately were. And that's what we were looking for during this era. Most of us in this room became HR people in the information era, okay? This is where everything, acquired knowledge and skill, this is where colleges exploded. Everybody and their mother wanted a bachelor's degree. If you didn't have one, there was no reason to live. And if you didn't have an MBA, you sure as hell weren't gonna go up the corporate ladder. And so everybody went to go get an MBA, right? And it's amazing where we are right now, but it was acquired knowledge and skill meant that you could do the job. You could go to IBM, go to Paychex, go to Eastman Kodak, go to the companies that were in this market, and you could be there for 30 years if you finished with that bachelor's degree and you knew how to do something because change wasn't occurring so fast. 30 years from now, you'd work for 20 years or so and then you begin to coast out. Ladies and gentlemen, we are now at what's called the augmented era. And there's a reason why I'm taking you down this history lesson. It is a very, very different world. No longer do we care if you have acquired knowledge. We don't care if you have a degree or not. I know many of you are hearing that. IBM told us, Tim Cook at Apple, the CEO of Apple told me, 50% of Apple's hires last year did not have bachelor's degrees. 50% of the people they brought into the world's biggest and most successful company. So this idea that you have to know something, you have to have this proven skill, efficiency and optimization. Guess what? The computers have done that. I don't need to know how quickly you can compute because there's a machine doing it faster than you can ever imagine doing it. So what we're now looking for in the space, the work that we all do, are these three types of skills. Creativity, adaptability, and agility. 
that's what we are now charged with. You want to think about an elevated mindset? Long gone are the days that you judge someone by what school they attended, or if they attended a school or not, or if they have a degree, or what company did they work for. You know, that stuff doesn't matter. We all think about it because we have a little bit of our own human bias, and we're elitist. Of course, Harvard is always better than, you know, any other school, <laughs> right? Not so much. And if you're from Harvard, I apologize. <laughs> you get to, we get to pick on you. But this is the new world. I want you to think about the new imperative and how leaders are looking at the work that we do. It's going to require a total paradigm shift, a shift in our mindset. We've got to elevate the thing to look at things like creativity. And by the way, that's not easy. It's easy to assess how someone performs if you can count on a college to tell you what their GPA was. You're like, oh, we only hired 3.7s and above from these 10 schools in this major. That's easy. The world that we now live in is far more complicated, okay? And I'll talk to you about that. So here's the struggle. Our mental models from an HR standpoint are right there, somewhere between the industrial era and the information era. Work is here and it's quickly taking off. This is what the best thinkers are telling us. So when you think about this language of elevating your mindset, we're in a different world. And if you don't get with it, they're going to leave it. They'll do it with or without us. And I'm going to talk more about that later. But this is the thing that makes it why it's so critical, is how critical adaptation is. Things have changed in ways, I don't know about you all, but I remember the first phone, cell phone. And it was about that big, right? And only very, very wealthy people had it. I remembered having family members in Miami. I was raised in Fort Lauderdale, 26 miles away, and someone calls you and they're talking quickly because you're being charged by the minute, long distance. Remember that? My father the other day called me. He said, I'm going to get off the phone because I know I'm talking too long. This is long distance. I said, where have you been? <laughs> Daddy, it's okay. You don't have to call me back. Put me on hold. I'll be there. But Think about what has happened. I remember being that neighborhood in our house. We were the first people in the neighborhood to get a microwave oven. I have a nine-year-old, and she complains now because she has to wait a minute for anything to become hot. <laughs> I said, what is with you? <laughs> Let me just tell you, the world, just think about what has happened in our lifetimes. Jenny told me the other day that 50% of the jobs, this is Jenny Rometty, 50% of the jobs today will go away over the next decade. She said, no, 100% of them in the next five years. She said, that's what we know at IBM. That machine that we have that's back there doing all this supercomputing for us, it's telling us that this thing is changing at a rate you cannot imagine. Read an article today that said the person who is going to live to 150 years old has already been born. That's deep. Think about all the implications from a people management standpoint, by the way. Development. I'm 80. I have 40 years left. <laughs> I need you to pay for two PhDs, because that's professional development. <laughs> the world is serious. And think about what that's going to require of us. We laugh about it. But people are regularly living till 90. I was in the line at the airport yesterday, Miami airport, and more people had to be pulled off to the other line because everyone has a metal knee, a metal hip, new eyes, new everything. I was like, hell, I <laughs> felt like I was truly in the minority. And of course, I am black, you all, by the way. <laughs> so I don't know if you all figured that part out. I always reflect when I'm giving these talks about, remember that television show with Lee Majors, The Six Million Dollar Man? <laughs> remember? He's real. He's like all over Miami right now in the airport. <laughs> His entire body's been redone. But this is the world. 
And I joke about it, but there is so much seriousness in this. If you think about the fact that, you know, right now, people are living consistently to 75, 85 years old, and they want to work, and they don't just want to be a Walmart greeter. They want real jobs. So the implications for those of us who are in this business are, how do I keep the person engaged at 65 and the person at 25 and the person at 40? Because the 40-year-old is waiting for the 65-year-old to retire or die. But they need, they need them out of the way. I can't be promoted to that C-suite if you're holding my spot. So how do we keep these people engaged? When you think about succession planning, it's the old succession planning. There's a totally different world out here, and it's because of the level of adaptation and how quickly things are changing. It requires truly an elevation of our mindset and a shifting of our mindset as HR practitioners. Trying to engage people to work till 75 is very different than retiring them. I was talking to someone the other day and they said, we're looking at a candidate for a job, and they said, he's 62. How much runway does he have? I said, first of all, that's kind of illegal. But, uh, you know, <laughs> and the closer I get to it, the more runway he has. Because, <laughs> right? And that happened. We used to all think 65 was a long way. It looks really close now. But all of this is happening. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about reskilling the need to perpetually reskill, that you've got to learn constantly. This isn't something that just goes away. I get my bachelor's degree, I'll go back a few years later and get my MBA, that is so old school. We're talking stackable credentials right now. We're talking about constantly relearning and retooling and reskilling is the norm. It's gonna transform higher education as we know it. That's what's happening in HR, and I want you to just really reflect for a second on that. The paradigm shifts, the number that we've seen in just the last decade are what are going to continually transform our work. The world isn't complicated anymore. It's complex, and it's more than just words. If you really look at the difference between the mindset that will be required to operate and to solve problems in a complicated world versus a complex world, Think about our org charts. They're now matrix. Nobody reports to anyone, but they report to everyone. Think about sexual harassment in the context. It used to be easy to have a process that says you can't date your boss. The problem is you kind of report to everyone in a matrix organization. And for sure, people who you don't report to, who are not even in your department, influence your promotability. They're in the rooms when discussions are being had about whether you become the VP of HR, although the person who did it works in finance. So it's not as clean and clear as it used to be. The complex nature of work, the complex nature of processing. And Sherm, we talk a lot about work, the worker, and the workplace. All three of those things are changing at once. Interconnected, but they're changing at once, and we're trying to keep up. It creates for a very complex job, and thus each of you need to have a few more points on your IQ, right? Because what we're going to do is going to require some really complex, smart, courageous people that I'm going to talk about. So what does that mean for the HR practice? I'm going to spend the last 15 or so minutes talking about what it should mean for your HR practice, and then I'm going to talk more broadly about what it means for the HR profession. First of all, Takeaway that all of us should know, this ain't going nowhere. And I see people trying to throw roadblocks and saying, oh, you know, machines aren't that great. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Remember back in the, I don't know if I can, I keep taking you back down memory lane. I remember the first ATM machine. Everyone said, oh my God, that is horrible. Uh, who's gonna go to a machine and take money out of a machine? <laughs> Me, you, all of us, right? 
And then it was, oh my God, what's it going to do to people? They're going to be out of work. You're going to put people out of work. No, they're going to get new jobs. Last I checked, banks are bigger than they were then. They have more employees than they had then. So the fact that technology came into place and took some jobs out, they just created a new set of jobs. And we needed to reskill people to take those jobs. But let me tell you, this is the future. In fact, this is the current. We can't be afraid of it because it is the future. And the best companies are doing that. What they're trying to do is predict human behavior. Because if you can do that, first of all, you're really smart because humans are some weird people, right? But this is the future and all of us have got adopted. How many of you have heard of HireVue? I want you to go look it up when you get a chance if you hadn't heard about it. Amazing technology. Again, a little unnerving, a little big brother-ish. But what happens with HireVue is let's say you're at a company and you've got to hire 50 people for an engineering job. Let's choose it. Customer service, HR, pick the job, 50 of them. Well, typically what would happen in talent acquisition is you go hire a whole bunch of people to do recruiting and da-da-da-da-da-da. What this does is it says at night. Whenever you want, we're going to ask the hiring manager to identify the 10 questions, 15 questions you want every candidate to answer. Every question, every candidate. At night, I'm at home, I put my kid to sleep, I want to apply for the job. I upload my resume and then in the front of the screen I am interviewed. The computer asks me, here's the question. I answer it. Guess what the computer's doing? Talking about scary. It's measuring the number of times my eyes blink. It's measuring my vocabulary as I answer. It's asking me all sorts of questions to try to get inside my head to figure out, am I the right person for this job? It picks up deception when it's looking. I mean, literally, it's kind of, like I said, unnerving, but this is what it's doing. And many of you say, well, my gosh, people will never be replaced in recruitment. News alert. Yes, you will. (laughs) And I'm not so sure if we are totally honest about it. We don't particularly recruit well now anyway. If you really think about it, you're lucky if one in two of your hires work out the way you thought they were going to work out. And we are also all facing our own biases, our own unconscious and some really conscious biases. The machine is not caught up in what you look like if you're overweight, if you're older, if your hair didn't look good that day. Because there is, by the way, a pretty privilege, too. There are a whole bunch of privileges, but pretty people do much better in business. They can be dumb as a rock, but pretty helps. You know, I mean, like seriously, they'll get at least the interview. And the machine doesn't do all of that. So there's a lot of bias in what we currently call recruitment and talent acquisition. And what's going to help a lot is artificial intelligence is going to help us. Some of the jobs that you thought would be around that were safe are going away. Just keep this in mind. Again, as we think about how to elevate HR and the mindset, you have to be open to realizing that many of these jobs are going to change. Okay, so now I want to talk about the second thing. I ask CEOs constantly, I always ask, what's the most important function? I hate superlatives, right? What's the most important function? Consistently, it's talent acquisition. They will say, I love employee relations. We gotta get them right once we have him. I love learning and development. I love pay. Of course, you gotta get comp and benefits. But at the end of the day, the most important, if I'm forced to rank it, is talent acquisition. CEOs are saying, find the talent, my God. If you get me the right person with the right skills, I can get the rest of my HR organization and my management organization to make this work. I may not keep them for 10 years. I may not keep them for five years. If you give me the right person at the right job for three years, my God, you've nailed it. IND is here to stay. Big takeaway for you. If you think about HR practice implications, what is IND, Johnny? Well, it's what DNI was before I flipped it. And I'm going to tell you why we flipped it. It's inclusion and diversity. Well, let me tell you, just by birth rate, something funny happened. America became more diverse. 
So we were going to be more diverse anyway. Check. There are organizations that need a little bit more diversity here, there in specific areas, different parts of the country. But diversity isn't our problem. I want you to hear me. This country is as diverse as it's ever been, and it's also as divided as it's ever been. The reality is diversity creates another set of problems. It is actually easier to manage a whole bunch of people who think alike, look alike, have the same experiences. The focus now has to be on inclusion. I would just submit to you that as you think about it, that model in your head says, we have to make sure this organization is ready for this diversity that we're about to bring in. That's perhaps more important, or at least in order, and they're close. If there's a number one and a number two, it's number one, and this is 1.1, is diversity. I'm going to submit to you that we should start talking as a profession more about IND. You got to get this inclusion right, which is so much about culture and making sure the organization is ready for the diversity that it's going to hire. Please, no one in this room should walk away and say, Johnny said we shouldn't focus on diversity anymore. That's not what I said. But I am saying IND is the focus. Okay. Here's the biggie. More than anything I've ever seen in my life, the biggest transition that I've seen in HR is that CEOs now are talking about culture. Everyone now is talking about culture because they realize you can't train your way out of this. You can't select your way out of this. You can't settle enough lawsuits out of this. Organizations are losing because they can't figure out what their culture is and they can't figure out how to transform their culture if they know what they have they don't like. That is the challenge. That is the call to order of HR people. And if you get culture right, then you know who to recruit. And here's the mistake that we make in HR. And I want you to hear me on this, because talking about a mindset shift, we all thought we'd all rush off and do what was happening in Silicon Valley. Ping pong tables, free food, come to work as you are. I hate that phrase, by the way, bring your authentic self to work. I said, no, you don't want me and my authentic self some days at work. Words matter, <laughs> right? So be careful. Sometimes in HR, we just say some of the crazy, like, bring your authentic No, no, there is no perfect organization. There is no perfect culture. It's what's right for you. Johnny Taylor was offered a job at a bank. I don't like suits. I'm not that serious. Da, 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 da. It doesn't work for me. I don't fit in that culture. And that culture shouldn't try to be Apple. This idea that that's the company with the perfect culture. No, that's perfect for that organization not necessarily yours. So the most important thing that I hear from CEOs about HR people, they say, if you really want to add value, sit down with my senior management team and make us reduce to paper. What is our culture? What does it mean to work here for real? HR ain't going nowhere. I just told you, we're in a knowledge-based, information-based, augmented era economy. People will matter. The question is, who are they going to trust to do this work? It may not be people like us if we don't get with it and get engaged in this mindset shift because they're demanding this. HR matters. Don't assume that they're saying the HR profession does. Make sure that the best and brightest minds are here. Don't let us resort to putting people in our organizations who didn't work out somewhere else. Well, they didn't work out in marketing, finance, safety, school lunch. I mean, nothing. (laughs) But we took them. Seriously, we need really smart people. And by the way, smart doesn't necessarily mean a degree from the right school. Smart means smart. And we know it when we see it, all of us. Third point is we have to, more importantly, and it's easy, I don't have to preach on this one to you all. Most HR people don't understand how the organization makes money. 
they know the business conceptually what we do. And when I was at Blockbuster, we sold videos, but they did not understand and could not connect the people strategy to the business strategy, how the organization made money through people. I will submit to you that if you spend all of your time on this, not going to get a little mini MBA, not being able to read, you know, P&Ls and all that, you have to know that. I'm not suggesting that you don't, but we miss the mark if you think you're going to get a mini MBA or finance for non-finance professionals and you figured it out because you can talk their jargon. What they're trying to do is figure out how you can add value, how if you understand what you do from an HR strategy standpoint will drive the almighty dollar. That's what they want from us. And then finally, you've got to practice courageously. Many of us and all of us have met people who know HR. They are brilliant. They've gone to all the right schools. They've gone to the worked in the classically trained J&J, P&G, whoever the companies are at the time who had the best HR in the world. But they sit in the room. They fought for that seat at the table. And then what? They're afraid. They refuse to speak up. And if any of you all in the room think about what's necessary, it's going to take a mindset. You've got to walk into the room thinking, I'm in HR. We had these T-shirts that had sort of the Superman emblem. You remember that? And it was HR. That's because you've got to have a little bit of that in you. No longer should you be the quiet person in the room. Don't talk if you don't have anything to say. But when you have something to say, it should be thoughtful. It should be courageous. And you should be willing to call things what they are. You can go to the best schools, Cornell, USC, wherever in, you know, Northwest, get all of the right Michigan programs. But if you won't practice HR courageously, if you're not looking into the future, looking around the corner of the future is now, you're going to fail our profession. And as I said, number one, we will do the HR function well or someone else will. It's that simple. Thank you. Thank you so much for giving me time to spend with you today. I really appreciate you. This is a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you for joining today's podcast. Visit paychecks.com slash future of HR for more information about this topic, including a downloadable ebook with more insights from Johnny and from our own Pulse of HR survey.